I have James Carlin on the podcast this week to share some competitive dry fly fishing tips and to tell his 17-year-old story. This coming from our newest sponsor of the podcast and the start of season five of the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. Hey, hope you're doing well today. In this episode, I talk with James Carlin, a member of the Youth National Fly Fishing Team and a fly fisher who is paving the way for greatness. Find out how a concussion early on in his life set the stage for growth, why 6.5x is a key and the so fly hoodie that i've been loving and freaking out about uh, this year uh, tons of good stuff on dry flies and uh, european nymphing um, competitive get back in the uh, competitive game lots of good stuff today before we get started i wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsors We've got a great new sponsor for the podcast with some very comfortable products. SoFly Gear, headed up by 17-year-old James Carlin of the U.S. Youth Fly Fishing Team, has a buttery, soft, quick-drying line that I have been loving. Head over to SoFlyGear.com and support James and the podcast right now. The Fly Fishing and Tying Journal has an exceptional fall edition out right now. Head over to ftjangler.com to support the great work Craig and the gang have created just for you. That's ftjangler.com. So without further ado, here is James Carlin from soflygear.com. How's it going today, James? Hi, Dave. It's going well. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, man. This is this is good to good to chat here. We're gonna have a little time to dig into uh, the brand you have going at uh, SoFly and some competition fly. We got a bunch of things to talk about, and and the fact the cool thing is too, you're a you're on the younger end of the spectrum. Maybe I'm not sure if you're the youngest guest I've had, but uh, it might be. Um, so we're gonna dig into all that. But before we get started, maybe you can just talk about how you first got into fly fishing, and then how you brought that into having a you know, a company and, and everything you have going. Sure. So I started fly fishing at 11 years old. My dad got me a fly tying kit for Christmas and he knew a local guide, Guy Robbins. He's also a world renowned kayaker. So he got in Nepal and Tibet. Um, hmm. And he said, guy could teach me how to tie flies and fish. So um, also, at this time I was also being homeschooled, which had some health challenges. So I had, hmm. I was like building and kind of adding another addition to my homeschooling curriculum. So my parents thought fly fishing could be, I mean, great. Like, nice. Why not? And so a guy comes over and we tie a zebra midge, go down to the river, first cast with that fly just tied. We, I got a 16 inch rainbow trout. <laughs> so I was certainly hooked after that moment. So that was, so you're 11 and now you're, um, and now you're 17, right? I am. Mm-hmm. So when did, um, when did you start thinking about, you know, I mean, I, I kind of think back to those days. It's funny, you know, I'm quite a bit older than you, but I think back and I can remember when I was 11, 12 as well. And I was, you know, I was doing the same thing. I was out there fishing. Um, you know, my dad had a fly shop, so I guess it was a little bit different back then, but I mean, how did you think about starting, you know, a brand and with SoFly? So SoFly actually came after I created my first company in sixth grade, um, called Bigwood Flies. And I was a, I was, t- I tied flies commercially. Uh-huh. So I came up with this pattern called the DB Nymph, which was, I mean, essentially it's a double beaded midge pattern. And I mean, at the the time I only knew how to tie a woolly bugger and a zebra midge. And I I did use split shot when I was fishing. I was competent enough to know how to 
about the depth and sync rate. And I found that split shot is often, you know, tangled lines, pain to cast, and can overall just very unwieldy. So I thought, what can I do about to eliminate the need to split shot yet sink my flies fast enough? And at the time, I wasn't fishing two flies that often. Mm-hmm. So I thought, why not add two tungsten beads to Zebra Midge as opposed to one? And that kind of kicked off my, you know, creative tying. My that was my intro to the world of creative t- fly tying. And I guess Guy Robbins through helped him word got around town. And one of the local fly shops, Lost River Outfitters, placed an order for some flies. And that was my intro to, to the world of business, if you will. Oh, wow. There you go. So, so I, yeah. So I carried on Bigwood Flies for a couple of years. I built my website, bigwoodflies.com, and sold flies there. And then just recently, that was, um, was it now two years ago, I had the inspiration for SoFly. And I worked at Silver Creek. I've been working at Silver Creek Outfitters for the past three years. And so obviously working in the shop, I've first-hand experience with the fly fishing industry and the products that come with it. And just working in the shop, I noticed for two trends. First of all, there's a lot of younger anglers. I'm sure you've seen yourself. Not so much of those like that 60 plus, but in that, I mean, if my age, 14 all the way to 30 year old range. Yeah. A lot of new anglers for that matter, not just younger ones. And these anglers were, I mean, hip, and they were looking for. They come into the shop and they would look for, you know, stylish fly fishing apparel, not the collared plaid shirts that, you know, it's that iconic mm-hmm. shirt, fly fishing shirt, but yeah. rather something more like the Patagonia or Sim Solar hoodie. So I got thinking about that. I was like, huh, maybe, maybe like, maybe I could create something with fly fishing apparel, like, you know, fill that, fill this niche that creates the fly fishing brand for the next gen of fly anglers. And that was, what was it, two years ago? And just this, or last fall, I started, you know, started getting some momentum. I did some research on SoFly, I did some more research on the industry. And once Corona hit, I had a lot more time on my hands. And that's when I really, Hmm. got going moved into second gear hmm. and i just launched my site so fly gear that's it that's it and, it's that, and, that, and then you reached out to me here a couple months ago and and uh, asked about being a sponsor you know for this podcast which we're working on right now getting set up and and i've actually uh you know i told you i, I said i was gonna wear your shirt you sent me actually it was funny because we had the screwed up the thing you sent me three ended up sending me three yeah. shirts which uh i plan on i plan on giving uh probably doing some sort of a thing, um, you know, and a giveaway thing, uh, adding that, you know, one of those in there too. But, um, but what I said was I, I would wear that thing for, for the next trip and let you know. And, um, man, I wore that thing I've been on the last couple of weeks. I've been out fishing out in the desert. Um, and I pretty much wore that thing, didn't take it off. And I can tell you it's, it, it's killer, man. I mean, it, it's, uh, the material. Can you talk about the, you know, where you get those, who's making those and why they're so comfortable and, and perfect for the sun? I will. So I'll, let me get into that. I've, my company has, I guess a three part mission, if you will, it has, first of all, spread fly fishing culture. So that's the part portion you just discussed about then like building a brand for the next gen anglers and spreading the actual fly fishing culture beyond the waters so to put it into a metaphor, like similar to what the rib curl did for surf culture. Mm-hmm. I want to do for fly culture. And then the second part is steward our waters. So that includes both inspiring others to pr- protect the waters they fish, and then from a company standpoint to embrace a sustainable business model. So I didn't want I could I didn't want when I started looking for materials, I wanted to create a material that's one both environmentally sustainable yet fulfills all the functional needs 
for a good day of fishing on the water. After some research, I came across bamboo. Bamboo is a extremely lightweight material, has a UPF 50, so great solar protection, quick drying, odor free, so all the essential benefits. Yet from a sustainability standpoint, it requires far less water than, I guess, of cotton, if uh-huh. you will. No chemical finishes, either in the growing process, so pesticides, fertilizers, that would otherwise be released into our atmosphere or the waterways. And as well in the finishing process, there's no chemical finishes. And on top of all that, bamboo grows at an astonishing rate. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can grow like a foot a day, which is just unbelievable. <laughs> so I started researching bamboo, and I came across this company called Task Performance. They're based out of New Orleans. Um, reached out to them, see if they want to do a little partnership, saying, hey, I'm 17 years old. You know, I'm starting this fly fishing apparel company. My dad's actually been wearing Task for a few years now. He loves your products, and I think it'd be a perfect way to kick off this new brand. And sure enough, um, that's, that's who I'm currently using now is Task Performance and their mm-hmm. bamboo shirts. Nice, nice. And and you talked about kind of your, um, you know, the fly culture, steward, uh, stewarding our waters. Was that the, um, that's the main, that's kind of your main mission as far as the company or are there any other things you want to talk about there? So that's definitely, in my opinion, the first and foremost one is to steward our waters. Then, um, actually, the third part of this is what I came across or developed last year is find your flow. So flow means a literal medical fo- metaphorical meaning in fly fishing, metaphorically meaning literally stand or literal rather meaning standing in the flow of the river. Mm-hmm. But flow is a, is a state of consciousness, consciousness or like a peak state where the mind and body feel and perform the best. So sensations of flow can be, you know, loss of time, complete immersion in the present moment. Um, so I guess time distortion could be, you know, time slowing down. Like you see that big fish slowly come up, feels like everything right. stands still. And interestingly, in the past years, flows moved over from a psychological standpoint and definitely shifted into that scientific realm. So it's become very popular. I mean, it's used by extreme athletes. Um, that's how they unlock like that level to perform in such a high level of sports. So, I mean, you go to like big with surfers like Laird Hamilton. Yeah. You can't surf a 100-foot wave unless you're in flow. So they have, they're definitely flow hackers, if you will. Huh. And as a comp- at least personally, I found, especially in sixth grade, I'm able to unlock my flow by being in the river. Just, you know, that sound of the me- the sound of the river flowing by, the, just the tranquility mm-hmm. of the nature, it definitely gets you into this next level of conscious awareness. And so that's the tag. Actually, the tagline for my company is find your flow. So I want all other anglers, non-anglers, to find the thing that brings them flow. That's amazing. Uh, before we dig, uh, we were going to dig in a little bit into uh, some of the fly um, fishing, kind of the stuff you do on the competition end and everything there. But um, I wanted to go back to the homeschool because I think that's an interesting. It sounds, it seems like you know, at seventeen, you're probably ahead of a lot of seventeen-year-olds. You know, with you know <laughs> the stuff you're talking about here, which is amazing. Um, but do you think? I mean, what do you attribute that to? Do, do you go back to the homeschooling, and or do you see what if you were in the normal school system? Do you think you would have a different perspective on where you're at, where you're going? So the concussion was actually a, seri- a post-concussion syndrome from one major one in third grade, and that carried on until was it the summer going into sixth grade? And that summer I had a pretty bad appendectomy, like in the middle of a hurricane. It was definitely a little bit of a traumatic experience. That was in Hawaii. Jeez. And yeah, during an earthquake too, it was just a, it was, it was, it was an eventful trip to say the least. So following that, um, that trip, I ended up 
with the trip, meat companies that give you obviously a bunch of drugs for the surgery. I'm the doctor surmised I might have had a compre- comprised blood brain barrier, which isn't not nearly as serious as it sounds. But from the concussions I had a few years ago or a year ago, and that triggered some OCD and anxiety yep. and depression, which I had to, you know, manage for a little bit. And I'm one of the ways I was able to do that is through I felt like I literally almost healed myself just being on the river, fly fishing. Mm. And that I means it was a very powerful experience, just being able to let any thoughts, like I guess, literally flow away with mm-hmm. the river, and just let my mind, you know, be at rest, similar to the forest around me. So that certainly, certainly supplemented my healing. Right. Yeah. So I mean, that's it. The river basically kind of saved, you know, I mean, literally kind of saved you from the stuff you're going through. Which, you know, I think about myself with my daughter, and she's. Um, She's eight now, but she fell off um, out in the backyard and landed on the concrete on her head. And it, it um, we, we, the hospital actually misdiagnosed it when we first took her in, and they didn't even recognize the fracture. Uh, the first huh. hospital we went to, and but we know we knew something was going on, so we took her back and went to the you know into the <laughs> the big city or whatever. But um, and she yeah she cracked her cranium and. Um, We've noticed some things, you know, that she, she's pretty, seems, you know, she's healthy and stuff like that, but we've noticed some, um, you know, some things, uh, that she's acted out and, you know, it's affected her. So, I mean, I think that probably us getting her on the river, right. The more that's probably a good thing for her. Right. Definitely. I agree. I'm yeah, sorry. She had to go through that. Yeah, no, no, it's, uh, she's recovering, but you know, your story is similar and I think it, this probably goes back to like everything you're talking about with finding your flow and, and things like that. But, um, well, uh, you know, I appreciate you sharing that, um, you know, that experience. It sounds like you're, uh, you know, fully recovered from it, which is also great to hear. Um, but yeah, yep. I, w- I wanted to dig in a little bit to, uh, you know, specifically we're getting into a couple of big changes. We're, we're right in the start. I'm using this episode as a big change. Um, you know, we're going into season five of the podcast, which is focused on dry fly fishing and then also you're going to be a sponsor here for uh, a few months. And um, so that's another big thing. And I'm, I'm excited to share. I hope everybody kind of stops now and I'll have a link down in the show notes to go pick up, uh, check out your stuff. And, you know, especially the hoodie, which, um, you know, if, if you want to, I literally, I haven't worn sunscreen. That's the great thing about it. In all the two weeks, I usually put on a bunch of sunscreen and I didn't wear any sunscreen. And, awesome. Uh, you know what I mean? There's something about that. Yeah. You're like, again, it's like no chemicals. Um, and it's just the way, and so, and again, I, I'm obviously going to promote your stuff, um, because you're a sponsor, but I think it is a, a great product. So, um, but let's, let's dig into a little bit on the dry fly fishing and maybe for just to lead it off. Can you talk about the, your, uh, the youth, uh, competition, uh, fly fishing team that you're a part of? Sure. So I felt I started year on Infin about four years ago now and my mentor or guy Robbins, who we discussed earlier in the mm-hmm. podcast, the guy who taught me how to tie flies we learned about the you know he's obviously you're in as part of the fly fishing usa fly fishing team and we just we started doing some research on the usa fly fishing team to see if there's a youth oriented program and sure enough we found the youth usa fly fishing team and every year they hold a few clinics back east and guy and i thought wouldn't it be great to bring out a western clinic especially for some of these western boys and i say boys because it's a yeah a boys team and so we ended up, mostly because a guy even did an incredible job doing this, he facilitated, um, I mean, a whole Western clinic out west. Hmm. We stayed at the community school dorms, which is one of the local schools in Ketchum, Idaho. 
for a couple nights. And that's, that was really my intro to this competitive angling. I mean, we had, I mean, the head coach from the team, we had Michael Bradley, who is a, um, competes on the world champion, the world championship team. Those were some of the coaches come in and then we all these kids both on the team and off the team. And it was, it was just a very eye-opening experience. I mean, you had some of these kids who were fishing me 3X on my home waters. Hmm. Like, it was unbelievable. So I was like, wow, this is this is a whole other level of cool. angling skill, if you will. So, the, so, I mean, everyone loved the clinic. And the next summer, I, I've just been honing my skills for the year, really working on my uniform technique, flies, building a fly box, reading the water, breaking down the water, all this, you know, very finite skills that you need to hone in on. And the next summer, I was definitely much, much better angler. And the coaches said, I think you should go, you should come to the national tournament in Bryson City, North Carolina this year to try out for the team. And that was in the summer. So come fall of 2018, I'm headed over to Bryson City, North Carolina, <laughs> and we fished the Nanahala in the Cherokee. And I guess I had, I had a few good days of fishing, and I ended up being invited to become a member of the team. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, huh. definitely, certainly one of my highlights so far of my fishing career. So being able to compete, be like a part of that high-level competition is it's very cool. That is but, cool. I mean, more so about it is the technique that comes with competitive angling. So you have, obviously, the European technique, which is just shifted the entire fly fishing industry. Mm-hmm. And you can't go anywhere without seeing either some European fly fishing-related product. And then on top of that is the fly patterns. So these Euronymphs are tactical flies, if you will. So both dries and nymphs. And that's something that, re- I mean, it's, it's very, very interesting. Because if you look at these competitive anglers fly boxes, they all have the same flies, essentially. Hmm. There's no, you know, secret like blue and olive or yellow sally nymph. <laughs> They're all very generic. They follow, I guess, four flies, a, a pheasant tail, a France fly, thread body, and a world swarm. Those are honestly the four flies every angler has, and they just have hundreds and hundreds of variations wow. of those flies. W- what were those? Different... Can you talk about the, again, uh, remind me, the, those four, what are those again? So you got the pheasant tail nymph. Yep. And this is not the your traditional pheasant tail, like a flashback. This is a really a nymph-type pheasant tail material. That's how we refer to it. Okay. So don't get the two mixed up. Then you have the France flies, which is essentially it's like a, C, a fly with a CDL tail, a microtubing body, and sometimes like a wing case or just straight dubbing. And then you have the thread body nymph, which is what it sounds like. So you got the CDL tail again, thread body, some wire, some like either single or double rib, and then dubbing again. And then you got the waltz worm, yep. which is couldn't be more of a simple fly. It's literally dubbing on the hook. Mm-hmm. And that also ties into the other part of I was going to get to is how these flies are so simple. There's no, I think the max, the longest fly I have, I mean, at least in my competitive fly box that takes me to tie is about three minutes <laughs> they're very very simple and i mean it makes sense too because as a competitive angle you want to fish every depth of the water column and that means you got to have a lot of flies with different bead weights different i mean we got to think about the mass of the flies so like a thread body nymph is going to take much faster than a waltz worm well with the dubby bulky dubby material which slows it down so that leads us to really honing in not just on the presentation but on the flies you choose and he says Competitive anglers, I mean, you're definitely pretty similar in skill level. So any way you can one-up your one-up one on one another is how you're going to win a competition. <laughs> and that's why you need to have these very diverse fly boxes with a ton of weights, a ton of type variations to get that one-up, but also fish 
every like every level of the water column. So you catch two fish maybe with like let's say a in four feet of water with a two mil bead and then a three three millimeter bead at the bottom. And you might go to two two eights. And then you might adjust to two two threes to really dredge the ball to maybe pick up a whitefish if you have that on the river. Hmm. And that's sort of the process you go to you break how how to break down a even just a little bucket and now multiply that by a hundred yards. That's really what it entails to be yep. to at least compete at that level. So and that makes sense. So basically you have a spot, you know, say you get to the river and you got a a little riff, riffle or run or something you're fishing and you got your box, you just start systematically breaking it down. You've got, you know, depending on the depth, you might fish three or four flies in that area and to cover all the different. And then again, it that's the simplicity. That's the beauty of it is that you don't have a bazillion flies. You've got four flies or whatever and different weights. And so, you know, <laughs> you know, basically those work anywhere in the world. Is that pretty much how you look at it? That's exactly it. Yeah, you can't, I mean, you can't have river specific flies since you're fishing I mean, over the United States and then the world for that matter. That's so that's crazy. why you want to have, I guess, a, a generic fly box, if you will. Yeah, that is, that is cool. I mean, I think the fun thing about it is that some people love, you know, I've had uh, Rick Hayfley on who's an uh, entomologist out West and, you know, you do, and there, I mean, God, how many books have been written on all the, you know, flies and, you know, types of flies, but that's the great thing about it is that if you want to get really nerdy with it and go deep into entomology, you can, but if you want to keep it simple, uh, you know, Euronymphing is away. And, and you mentioned, uh, the dry fly, like tactical dry flies. What, what would be, what would your dry fly box look like? So as a, I'm definitely more of the, on the fall on the imitative side, like matching the hatch as opposed to many of the anglers on the team, just because I live in Ketchum, Idaho and I'm near Silver Creek where it's a river where you have to have the exact fly. It's one of okay. those rare exceptions. But for the most part, the kids on the team, their boxes are just CDC flies. Very simple CDC flies. You have what's called a puff daddy, which is just CDC wrapped on a hook. It, no it's, it, it, gets, it reaches a level of actual absurdity, and yet this guy's <laughs> gotten crushed fish. It's definitely a harsh reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did those kids, but, uh, when they came to your home water uh, and they three, you said they 3X what you were catching, uh, what you caught, what were they fishing? What were they doing well with? They were using, I mean, one of the kids caught like 70 fish in a couple of hours on a white mop. A white mop. A white mop, yep. And then the other ones were just using, you know, a lot of the traditional flies, or the quote-unquote traditional flies for competitive anglers. And then the other part of the success is tippet size, because they're regularly fishing like 6.5 or 7x. Yep. That's a matter of sink rate and, of course, just presentation. Right. Back to the dry flies. So you have, what's, you have the Puff Daddy, which is CDC, a CDC fly, and then you have... Um, some like caddis variations. You might have like a little elk hair, then some CDC wrapped around in front with the dubbing body, and then quilt like a quill body fly. This is maybe on a check mm-hmm. nymphuck quill body fly with some CDC, and that's pretty much the that's it level of yeah. That's that's it. You so, got your caddis, mayflies, and then the puff daddy can imitate a midge if you tie it really small. Oh, gotcha. And would you have a bunch of different colorations for each of those patterns, or just standard colors? Fair amount of colorations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got a white. Yep. So if you look so once, at, yeah, once again, the variation. So if we opened up your fly box and took a look at it right now, it would be, well, it seems, it seems like for Silver Creek, you have a diversity of kind of some of the normal stuff, but you would also have a lot of those same flies in different colors. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
Well, Silver Creek, you know, I haven't fished Silver, but um, you know, definitely it's a known uh, a known stream. Can you talk about how, and if we just keep it on the dry flies, you know, take us to the take us to the river uh, and how you catch those fish? You know, fishing dry flies. What can you describe? If somebody was heading out there this weekend. You know, what they might do to, to find some fish, and maybe talk about the time of year because right now it is. Um, I guess we just got into September, right? So, what would you be fishing right now? Right now, there's still a few calibates in the water, which is great. So we got some big dry action, but the betas are really going to start popping soon. And that's can be incredible fishing. On top of the, I mean, it's obviously reduced pressure since it's, you know, early fall. Because the summer can be, it's it gets pretty crowded down there, let's just say that. Oh, it does? Mm-hmm. It's a very popular stream. How, how big of a how big of a stream if you had to say just average uh, width of the of the channel? I'd say for the most part, like at least for the walk and wade and the upper flow tube section, is maybe like sixty feet across. Okay, sixty. Yeah, smaller in some areas. Mm-hmm. So it's not huge. Yeah. Gotcha. And this is kind of lots of uh, more big bouldery water or more low flat gradient. This is a spring creek, so it's a lot, I mean, mostly extremely flat, and then there's very little, um, I guess, under-the-water substrate except for weeds. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you're in that's the... What, that's what also makes it very technical, is just waiting for that matter, because you can't kick up any mud. Oh, and, no kidding. Or silt, right? I shouldn't say mud, but silt from the river bottom. So you do a lot of... And, you, and then on top of that, to make it even more difficult, you have to do a downstream presentation... I mean, that's the best way to get them, at least for dry fly fishing. Oh, really? Okay, downstream. And why, yep. why downstream? Presentation-wise, because you don't, the, the, you're not going to line a fish. Oh, so if you're casting... And they're that, that picky. Yeah. Like, if they see that little glimmer of even 7x tip, they're not going to eat it. And oh, you wow. want your fly to approach the feeding fish first. There you go. Okay, so, so if you find... So you're always casting. And so basically, when you make that cast, are you pretty much, you know, that fish, you're hit, it's hitting right now, or is it sitting on the water for a little bit? It's sitting in the water for a little bit because you got to be, it's also distance wise too. You can't be that close to them. So I'm at average like 20 to 30 feet away. Uh huh. And then you typically target what's at least sort in Silver Creek, you target pods of fish. And this is what during the hatches, like the trico hatch or PMD hatch. And they'll just pot up sometimes 20, 30, even 40 fish. They'll just pot up together and eat a bunch of flies. And you get up, so you get upstream of them and then you cast down. You could do a, Cast and then you end your end your rod tip highs and then let the line pile down and sort of work its way down to the fish. And you'd be amazed how no fish will eat the fly even after twenty casts or twenty drip presentations. They're that picky. Hmm. And even if there's twenty fish, you still can't get one. Like it's that level of pickiness and intelli- like intelligence. I guess it's pure intelligence for the, of those fish. Hmm. They just become they've really honed in what makes a actual aquatic insect and a, a, not a natural. Right, right. And it can be some of the most frustrating experiences when there's 20 fish rising below you and you can't even catch one after an hour. <laughs> and you and you said, so you mentioned calibatus and betas. What, what would be the fly pattern that would imitate, that you would use to imitate those? So for betas, I use like a paradon emergers. I found those to be the most effective. Okay. Like a size 18 to 22. Eighteen. To Typically, 20. I'm fishing like twenty, twenty-twos down there. Okay, so twenty-two, so some pretty small stuff, and then, and in uh, color-wise, are you? Is there a specific color you might use? I found a. I mean, you associate associate betas with a olive, but I found a 
very dark olive, even more of a brown. A light brown works exceptionally well. Okay. Like an Antron yarn tail. Yeah. Or shock. I'd recommend that's right. those. That's right. Compared just to all that. around you, I think that's a great beta cementation. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Here you go. FTJ Angler has a great fall edition that's out right now. You can find Lucas Stevens, who visits Winston Fly Rods in the uh, fall edition for an insider look at, and a rare interview with writer Ted Leeson, someone I hope to have on the podcast soon. Patrick Wall pays homage to Harry Lemire's tied in hand Atlantic salmon flies displayed in the Marguerite Salmon Museum. Boots Allen takes us to the pond with a masterclass in Stillwater. Dennis Dobble travels to Scotland in search of Atlantic salmon. Plus, FTJ Deputy Editor Henry Hughes with a mysterious fly fishing story and Nora Etsy with her poem, No Business, which I actually tried to read unsuccessfully a few podcasts ago. I'm not sure if you remember hearing that. So um, I'd love it if you could press pause right now, head over to ftjangler.com and subscribe so you get the next issue delivered right to your inbox. That's ftjangler.com. SoFlyGear.com, led by Chief Apparel Guru and U.S. Youth Fly Fishing All-Star James Carlin, has a clothing line you're going to love. SoFly's mission to produce clothes that look good, perform well, can be worn on and off the water, and most importantly, are manufactured under rigorously sustainable methods. How do they do it? Bamboo, in a single word, a fabric that is buttery soft to the touch, durable, sun-resistant, and embossed with original designs and artwork. I've been wearing the SoFly hoodie on my last couple of uh, steelhead trips, and it's been a game changer. Whether hot or cold, wet or dry, I've been uh, feeling perfect in pretty much all conditions. I just I t- haven't taken this thing off. I mean, it's been, it's been pretty awesome. So totally support SoFly here. If you're ready to up your apparel game with this uh, lifestyle fly fishing gear uh, brand, head over to SoFlyGear.com. That's S-O-F-L-Y gear.com to get started today. And like I said, I've been loving it. So uh, pick up a hoodie uh, and you'll be like me and you'll be good to go. Okay, back to the show. So let's keep it going here. So basically, you know, it sounds like if I was to grab some comparative. And what is the Calabatus? Uh, what is that like? Um, would that be like the Gray Drake or what is the, the, the common pattern you might use? The common pattern for the Calabatus, you want to use a Calabatus dry. It's okay. very specific, and I recommend using like a, cal- a spinner. I find that to be the most effective for down there. Mm-hmm. Just like a gray, I guess, sort of like a gray drake. I mean, sort of looks like a gray drake, but a little bit on the lighter side, like a light gray. And you see the spinner, and you can. What's great about the Calabas is it's such a large, large fly. You can almost use it as an indicator dry. And then you maybe eighteen inches behind that, you put on a smaller oh, cool. betas or trico. Nice. And the trico is what Silver Creek's, you know, renowned for is their trico hatch. Oh, really? And and, mm-hmm. and, and describe. And what is a trico again? Put that in perspective compared to the. How is that different from the betas and the calabatus? Trico is a small mayfly that's black and it looks looks like a midge, except it's a it's a little bit larger on average than a midge, like maybe like size twenty or twenty twos. While midges are typically that, are for the most part, are in that twenty two to twenty six inch or twenty size twenty six range. And the trico, what's really cool about tricos is they pot up in what's called a spinner, like a spinner um, cloud. And you'll just see these huge clouds of, I mean, I couldn't even tell you how many, like that, maybe thousands, hundreds of thousands of flies 
I don't really have a mm-hmm. number to put to it, but it's just this huge clouds of trico spinning around or flying around. And then eventually, come like, I don't know, maybe nine, 10 o'clock, these trichos will, what's called the spinner fall. They'll start laying their eggs on the water and they'll fall to the, hmm. onto the water surface. And that's the prime time to use, catch them or catch fish with using a trico. Yep. That's it. That's it. And it is the pattern. What would be the uh, pattern for the trico that you might use for the spinner fall? So I see like a, a black trico spinner. Yeah. And then when you want like the clear, so that's a black body, like a long tail, and then white wings. Right. And if you compare that to natural trico, it's it's identical. Hmm. Nice. And then I like to use some henwin um, trico patterns as well to imitate a dun. Yep. And once I get back to the comparadun, it's another, I mean, a trico comparadun, and to imitate, imitate the female. Um, with like a little black or red butt on it, to like to imitate an egg, hmm. works very well. Perfect, perfect. And that's so that's all going on, you know, kind of s- fall, uh, summer, fall, sep- right now, September. What would it, as you go into say into October, November, more into the fall, winter? What what's what are the dry fly? What's that looking like there? So come, you know, once it gets those cold fronts and those. Mm-hmm. Um, frost come at night you want to it's gonna be really the betas hatch betas and midges for the most part and then you can fish leeches as well and that's all that's not a dry that's not getting into the dry fly realm but you can swing some like little woolly buggers or a myers leech mm-hmm. and you have i mean you have a shot some huge brown trout doing that nice oh, you have brown that's right so i was thinking rainbows but you have uh, there's browns in there as well or are those the two species yep browns and rainbows and there are some i mean Browns up into the thirty plus inches in there. Jeez, so yeah, this is this is trophy. This is trophy stuff. Oh yeah, huh? Real cool. Uh, okay, well, you know, on the dry fly end, anything else you want to talk about? I guess we we're trying to, you know, I guess we we're talking more about specific uh, dry flies. But if we bring it back to say the competition, you know, what would the, what would the competition anglers be fishing um, out, you know, on your creek if they're say right now in September? So Silver Creek, I don't know. if at least not that I don't think anyone in the team has fished it when they've come out here, but we have also the Bigwood river and the lost, which are freestone streams. Oh, and the lost okay. is a freestone and a tailwater, but fish is similar to, um, how freestone will, it's not your traditional slow moving tailwater that you might think of. And if they're fishing dries here, like what it's back to the same thing, like a searching dry, something like imitate a wide variety of insects without mm-hmm. honing in on one specific one. And I personally believe, at least on freestones, if the fish aren't exceptionally picky at that, like that Silver Creek level, it's more about the presentation, not so much the fly pattern. Yep. So if, you, if you're getting some refusals, rather than switch the fly first, I'd lengthen the leader, maybe downsize the tippet, see what happens. And more often than not, it's just going to be, that's the issue. It wasn't that, the actual fly pattern. Gotcha. gotcha. As long as you're, I mean, assuming, of course, you're fishing something remotely similar to what should be hatching that time of day. Yeah, right. So you got something. So you got something. Yeah, basically, it might not be an exact match, but it's similar in the size and and maybe color, and and you're fishing, um, like you said, light leader, casting down to them. And if you know if if the fish aren't taking, then just just drop down a little smaller. And and how small? I mean, we always hear seven x. You know what's stopping? It seems like you know with the way things are going. You know where's nine X, right? What do we, you don't hear about? Is it, could you not get smaller than than where we're at right now? So all that exists. I mean, I've seen tip it down to ten X, but I haven't heard of anyone fishing or really fishing below 
seven X. Yeah. It's just at that point you're fishing something already and the margin for error is so minimal. Anything below that is you're just going to be breaking off fish. And if you hook into a fish over 12 inches yeah. on something below seven X, I mean, forget it. Yeah. Forget it. it it's some stocky that just rolls over. Totally. And it seems like maybe there's the technology again, right? We've, how much has the, I, you know, I've had Devin Olson on and, um, you know, a lot of the Euro Lance and things like that. And we talked about some of the history there, right. Of the, the, the Czech, you know, Polish uh, team back in the day, the, you know, all this stuff, the history of the Euro niffing. And I mean, those guys were using, this is stuff they just grabbed. It wasn't even fly gear, right. They're just using this makeshift stuff. And that's, you know, where it all began. Um, but we've come a long ways, right. The, the equipment is amazing. It seems like as technology increases that maybe we do get even smaller and stronger in the X size. Do you see that kind of maybe as a possibility? It's definitely getting stronger. I mean, if you're five years ago, seven X is practically unheard of. And now anglers are fishing it regularly. Exactly. And I, I mean, I fish it very regularly and I've caught some like good size fish on seven X. Yeah. Like, like what's six, the, I mean, that point five X is yeah. also a game changer as well from trout hunter. Oh, okay. Six, so 6.5 from, and Trout Hunter is, um, they make leader and other terminal tackle. Yep. They do. Okay. Yeah. Trout and Hunter. they created what's called the half X and you might be like, you might be rolling your eyes listening to this, but I just, I, let me just say, I'll go out and try it and you'll, you'll see there is, there is a distinction between five X, 5.5 X and six X. Oh yeah. And I found like, especially like, once again, we'll get into that super small tippet rather than fishing seven X, I might fish a 6.5 X. Mm-hmm. And it is that much stronger than seven X's and you notice it. That's cool. Do you still see, you know, I think some people, you know, back in the day there was confusion of like, okay, this is seven X and it's, uh, you know, two pound or, or whatever. Do, do you talk about it as what pound it is or do you just use the X now? On the team, at least everyone uses a trout hunter because of that 0.5 X. And when we're referring to seven X, you know, we're referring to that trout hunter seven X. Yeah. I, I don't know the pound off the top of my head, but I think it's around, 2.5 pounds maybe yeah yeah it's pretty pretty light so it doesn't really yeah really it seems like as long as you know that the x i'm not sure different companies that, that used to be a lot of variation too whether you you know like for you know maxima right is this uh leader that's good for heart steelhead bigger stuff you know a maxima x is way different than you know orvis or any of these other um, things but huh. okay well, you know, obviously there's a big rabbit hole. We could, you know, we're not jumping down on some of this stuff, but I did want to keep it, you know, on the dry fly again. So, you know, before we get out of here, anything else, any other tips you want to talk about? Um, and maybe we can just kind of talk about the, the 222 here with, um, you know, flies, tips, and resources uh, for, for dry flies. Let's keep it on dry flies and keep it on your, you know, the Silver Creek and similar um, spring creeks. You know, if you had a couple tips to give somebody, what, what would you throw, anything else you'd throw out there? So a lot of it is about the flies, but if you're on the river where, like a, for Silver Creek, it's it is about the fly pattern there. But if you're just on a technical river, you just got to keep changing it up and f- try something until you find the magic fly. How often do you change it up? How, how do you know when to? So you're out there casting, casting, casting. You know, how often are you changing flies? So here's the thing: as it depends on how good of an angler you are and mm-hmm. how great your presentation is, because you could be cast, you could do a hundred casts, and if you don't have if you have a poor presentation with, with out of those hundred casts or a hundred of those casts are poor is a poor presentation, you're not going to catch a fish and the fly doesn't matter. Yeah. What, what, what is the but, difference between a poor presentation and, 
and uh, really great president. Obviously, there's being a good fly caster. Um, you know, what does that look like for somebody? Say somebody's just an average caster, or maybe even somebody that's struggling. How, how do they? You know, what does that good, great presentation look like? So when you start off, then you want to be looking for to determine whether it's good presentation or not is if your fly is dragging. Yeah, it's pretty simple. So a drag for those of you who don't know is a little V wake that will go behind the fly. And if that's happening, you're not, I mean, odds, especially in a creek river, like silver Creek, you're not going to catch a fish. Okay. So, so, so no, to avoid that, just yeah. you want to get more slack into your build slack into your line. So that way the flies moving downstream with the current and not be pulled across because it's too much tension between your fly and your fly line. Perfect. Perfect. And would that be something like you could do uh, like a reach cast, for example, that might help, or what would you do to put slack in it? So if you're fishing downstream, you want to end your rod high. So when you cast, pause high, and then slowly follow the rod down, and that's going to pile line at your feet. And that's a natural way to build slack into it. But if you're fishing upstream or down and across, I like for upstream, I like to ask cast. So cast, mm. you know, bring, move the rod for horizontally to the water or parallel to the water and that's going to build an s in your fly line that's a great way to put slack mm -hmm. and then down in the cross or just at, a, at an angle i like a little reach cast with the micro mend okay and and uh and what in the micro mend when does that what does that look like just i mean not a huge not like a huge oh, indicator like just, mend you do with an indicator just something gotcha a smaller like little flick of the wrist to give that line throw a little, a little slack out but not a whole lot a little bit more okay so and then once you once the fly hits the water and it's going down you know where that fish is um how you know say you know where the fish is you see a fish that's feeding or a, a, a line where are you casting that fly are you casting just upstream or on top of it or how are you setting that up so it's critical to not line the fish which means actually have your fly line go over the fish because i've known they're known to spook because of that so you want to Depends how long your leader is fishing. So if there's a if it's a relatively difficult river, you want to lengthen your leader so you can be farther from the fish yet cast the fly maybe two or three two or three feet above the fish without lining it. Okay. So rather than like an eight and a half foot leader or nine foot leader, maybe go to ten, eleven foot leader. And that way you can keep your distance from the fish, cast the fly far enough above that it can see it, have time to react, and also gives you time to add that extra needed slack, maybe make one small adjustment before the fish eats so you're as you're, you're not to be unprepared mm -hmm. but you're not of course lining the fish nice yes nice. okay so that that paints the picture and there's definitely i think we we probably had uh two tips in there um anything else you want to throw out there just on any other uh any take you know again somebody's out there the first time hitting silver creek for dry flies uh this time of year anything else as far as tips I have one more tip that branches into two different categories. So fish two dry flies. Mm -hmm. That's one way. I mean, you can figure out what the fish are eating, double your, doubling your chances of catching a fish. And let's say you know there's a few bugs in the water. Like for example, if I'm down at Silver Creek in July, I know there's PMDs, there will be betas, and there's going to be trichos out. And there, I mean, in July, like June, there might be some green drakes mm -hmm. and caddis. So it's five different <laughs> insects right there. And how do I know what the fish are eating? Like I said, you want to have the right fly at Silver Creek. So rather than fish one fly and keep on changing, fish two. So maybe fish a PMD as the first fly and make that like, maybe that's like size 16. And then below that, you can have a small size 20 betas. So that is diversifying your, what you're presenting to the fish. In addition to that, it's the top, the bigger flies acting as an indicator. 
Mm-hmm. So once you get into like that size 20, 22, 24s, it's extremely difficult to see the fly, especially if there's a glare, if it's cloudy yep. out. And having that larger fly up top is nice. So if you see a fish's head come up anywhere near that first fly, just set the hook. And more mm-hmm. often than not, there will be a fish on. That will, a fish will have eaten your smaller fly and you just didn't see it. Yep. That's a great tip. Yeah, two flies if you can keep from getting tangled, which basically are you tying your your big fly on the main fly and then just tying it off the shank of the hook, your, your smaller fly? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that seems to be the easier. I mean, there's different ways to do droppers, but it seems like that's just the easiest. You know, in, in the leader, I guess that's the great thing is that that leader, you're using 7X, so the, so the fish, if it takes the bigger fly, it's not even, it's not seeing the leader really. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't affect it really. At least not what I from what I've found. Gotcha. Okay. And you can always yeah. experiment like tying off the tag as well. Oh right. And the especially tag. for yep. Because in competition, I mean it's like Fibsmish rule is that you can't tie a tip from the bend of the hook. So you're restricted to only oh. tying off the tag. Okay. So you can also experiment with that too. And that way, I mean the top fly is also free moving, which is nice. That's right. That's it's right. It's not being it's not constrained to the back fly. Perfect. Perfect. And yeah, as far as the competition, I like I said, I've I've had some interviews. I'll put links to those if somebody wants to understand what you know the competition is about. I think it's probably the youth is similar to what the um, what you know the other guys are doing in the the the, the lances division, all that stuff. Yeah, we're, we're I mean, we follow all the same rules. All the rules, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And w- when do you become? When does it? Um, when do you have a chance to step out of youth into the uh, the next stage? And is that something you're looking at maybe doing? So it's either 18 or 19, depends on your birthday. For me, it's going to be, I'm done when I'm 19. And then from there, you start competing in the men's national tournaments and hopefully have a shot getting on the team. Mm-hmm. And then once you're on the team, it, it breaks down into tiers. You have your, this, I think there's, what is it now, 15 guys on the adult team. And then they only select five or six to go to the world championship every year. Wow. And a lot of that's just dictated by how well you perform in competitions. Man, five or six. So it, it literally is. I think of like, you know, I mean, it is, it's team USA. I mean, I think of the NBA, right? You think I I love basketball, right? Back in the day, but I mean, how many, there's like 300 people that are professional basketball players out of, you know, the population of the country. It's like, it's pretty much, you know, impossible to do it. Do you see, um, competition fly fishing? How do you compare that as far as how challenging it is to get in there? So, I mean, you gotta be a, just a great angler to be blunt. Like, and you got to have, you got to your own nymph as well. That's the other portion of it is you can't just be a incredible, like dry flyer indicator fisherman. I mean, indicators aren't even allowed in competition. So you really got to be working on that, um, that your nymphine modern, also referred to as modern nymphine or tactical fly fishing mm-hmm. techniques. And to get started on that, if you haven't even ventured into that world yet, I'd check out like one of Devin's or Lance's, um, books or their modern nymphine show or not show, but film. Oh yeah. And that gives you a full step-by-step instructional to like the basis of why you should even consider European nymphing to how to approach the water, how to, how, how to choose what flies to use in this scenario, how to different times of the year, what cards, different times of different techniques, different depths to fish. So it's, it's a well-versed extremely, extremely well done. The filming is incredible. Gilbert Rowley, yep. um, film that show. I'm sure you know of them. Yep. And, yeah, highly recommend you go check that out if you haven't even started European Infinite. If you have, I'd say I'm sure you're going to learn something new from there as well. 
Perfect. Perfect. That's a great resource. I'll, I'll put uh, links to those in the show notes. So that's Devin and, and I guess Devin uh, and I think Lance, uh, they, those three guys, Gilbert, right? They're, they kind of put together all that stuff. Exactly. And that's called yeah, Modern Infin. Modern Infin. That's it. Any, uh, is there another resource out there, you know, website, uh, any books, magazines, anything you, you would recommend for, you know, any of the Euro nymphing or, or kind of competition fishing? So I actually wrote a course on fly tying competitive angling flies. Hmm. So it focuses on a few few parts. What makes, I call them, the course is called Modern Nymphs. What makes Modern Nymphs unique? How to, like, techniques for tying Modern Nymphs. Um, and then how to develop a Modern Nymphing fly block. So that's what we talked about mm-hmm. earlier in the podcast is how to diversify your selection, how to know what flies to have, and essentially have a fly bo- a universal fly box that hmm. can work anywhere in the world. Nice. And that's available through the, I've partnered with, or it's been sold through the Catch in the Hatch. That's Alan Gardner's website, and he has some online courses there as well. Oh, yeah. The Catch in the Hatch. Yeah, definitely. I'm familiar yep. with that. Okay, cool. And I will put a link um, to that as well so people can check out. And then we've talked a bunch, um, you know, definitely talked about flies. But if, if we go back to dry flies again, and this is your your standard, you may have already talked about this, but you, you can pick two flies for you know, you're fishing any, you know, no matter where you're at for dry flies, what, what, what are those two flies? No matter where I'm at. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's your flies. You're, you're traveling to, uh, you know, Europe or your wherever, and, and you got to have your two go-to flies. What, what would those be? I'd go with an elk or caddis up top that can imitate a caddis that can imitate a lot of terrestrials and then moths for exa- example. So definitely oh, yeah. focus more on the terrestrial or potential terrestrials that might be in the water uh-huh. and then larger bugs. And then behind that, I do go with a CDC comparison. Okay. There you go. And I mean, yeah, if I had to choose two dry flies, it'd be those. That's awesome. That's, uh, you know, I love about that is that you picked one of my favorite flies and I'm not a competition guy, but the elk hair for sure. And then what size on elk hairs, you know, because you got, again, you were talking a lot about 22s and some of the other mayfly stuff, but, but how small do you, can you go on? Because you do have those tiny little micro casts and stuff, right? But how, how small do you go on elk hairs? Not that, I mean, 18 is the smallest I'd fish in elk hair yeah. caddis, but I'm typically going like the 14s, even 12s. That's yeah. like if I can get away with it. Exactly. And just like spruce moths on the river. And the 12 is the excellent imitation for that. Yep. Perfect. Cool. All right. Well, I think anything else you want to throw out there as far as uh, dry flies, uh, competition, anything, um, you know, before we head out of here? No, I think we about, I mean, we, we did covered it pretty well. Okay. Cool. I've got a new little segment um, I'm testing out. This is perfect now that we're transitioning. Um, this is called uh, Ask, Ask a Fish. And uh, so the way this works is, I don't have it totally lined out, but basically you've got, let's, let's go to the brown trout, right? And are you catching those browns? Are you getting any of those on dry flies at all? You have the last year, someone got a 28 inch brown trout on a sparkle done. On a sparkle done, like a what yeah. size do you think? Or do you I think it was a six, it was might've been 16 or 18. Yeah. It was large. Nice. Okay. So you got that brown trout and say you're, you're, you're dry fly fishing, you're going for it. If you could ask, you know, yourself, ask that brown trout, any question uh, what would it be? And you can get a, a you know a normal human answer. What would it be? Why did you eat that fly? Because yeah, I'm sure that fish has seen a lot of sparkle duns go over its head. Exactly. And I mean, especially on that river in the middle of summer, you know, other anglers are fishing sparkle duns. Why did you decide to eat it at that moment? Yep. Why did you eat it at that exact moment? There you go. So and brown at that size for that matter. I mean, you can catch them on drives, but if you, your best shot's like on a streamer. Right. Because they're, they don't need to, it's just from the, um, what do you call it? The energy versus reward. Yeah. 
exactly. to catch a, to eat a little fly like that. Why would they do that? Yeah, there's a gigantic yeah. fish. Why would it eat? Why wouldn't it just spend time eating a huge, whatever you know? Uh, mm -hmm. So and, and then and yeah. then to turn the tables, if you now now you are you going now you're the fish. You're going to answer that question. What would be your answer to that if you had to guess? I'd say in that case, and it could be a total total guess. I I could I could think of my I'll, I'll think of my total guess after after you. I'm really going to say right place, right time. Yeah, yep. Just I, I don't think it's anything more than that because a fish supposed to right at that moment it's probably it was there. Maybe look at rare, yeah, one of the, a rarity. It's looking for dry flies, and there, sure enough, there is what the sparkle done right above it. Yep, yep. I, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think they're, I think they're opportunistic, and it's just like you know what if it's right in the right there, and just what, why wouldn't it take it if, if it does? Well, again, the energy thing. If it doesn't have to go very far, it must have been right, right close, and. um so cool, man. Well, there you go. That's the first segment of Ask a Fish. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if people if people like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna spit it a little bit and see. You know, I'll test out some new things. But um, cool, James. Well, that, that's about all I have for you. Um, in the next, uh, you know, six to twelve months, what can we expect from you? I think you mentioned um, you might be heading off to college and things like that. What, what's what What do you have going there? And then what about the company and everything uh, up in the future? So it's my senior year of high school and then, you know, in the midst of college applications, all that right now. And then fly fishing wise, the, unfortunately, the team is shut down because of Corona. I mean, oh, rightfully right. so. We have out of the 15 kids in the team, they come from 10 different states. All just meeting up in one place is not a recipe for a positive result. No. So that's we'll see what happens with that. Maybe the world championships next summer. If everything returns somewhat to normal. And that would be in Bosnia, which is pretty cool. Oh, wow. And then for my business, you know, just keep go check out SoFly Gear, subscribe to the mailing list, and we have a bunch of cool new products coming up, new design shirts, new style shirts, and oh, cool. a bunch of new gear. We're going to have a, I'm having another course coming out, which more info will be released soon. Nice. Nice. So on the on the products, like you said, if they sign up for your newsletter, you, you'll give them uh, update anybody for the new products. And what? So you have right now the, their line. You have basically the shirts. Um, can you talk about you know maybe what you have right now in your line and then what you uh, have coming up? So I have a few different style shirts. We got a long sleeve. We got the solar hoodie, and then we got a short sleeve. Mm -hmm. and this, these are all all these shirts are made out of bamboo. And think of a I call it lifestyle fly fishing apparel. So this is something that can be worn out to dinner. Of course, on the on the water, and then even to the gym. This is like a performance bamboo shirt that looks great. So mm -hmm. it's I highly recommend you would get some at least go check it out. I mean, they feel great, look great on and off the water. And then come this fall and winter, I want to start going into hoodies. We got a bunch of cool new hats coming in. Oh, nice! And then I have some other, you know, very niche fly fishing gear that I'm also working on as well. Okay, so you're going to be getting into some stuff that maybe is. Uh, a focus on like co competition in some of the stuff you do it's more so like fly fishing apparel but okay in, yep yep yeah, well you'll, you'll see There's yeah some, good all I'll right well, do well, some release for that perfect well i'll put links and uh and you know this will be out there in the future as well so as as you come out with more stuff um we'll, we'll add some links and things like that um so okay cool uh and it's just soflygear.com if they want to find you soflygear.com cool 
All right, James. Well, that's this has been uh, this has been a fun one. I think we've uh, we've dug into a little bit, and hopefully, I think provided some tips on uh, you know dry fly fishing and competition. I um you know it's I'm definitely excited to have you on and and sharing um you know your products and things. I, I've like I said, I've been wearing them and. Um, I think I, like you said, you sent me two hoodies. I think the one I've, I've tore up, I, I don't know how well they do after you wash it, but the thing is so dirty because I wore it so much. I don't think I could wear it out in public anymore, but, um, so, so I might have to save the second one for, for public, but yeah, is there anything there as far as like, uh, you trash on that thing for, does it stay, uh, how does that work? Does it, does it clean well bamboo? Oh, it cleans very well. It's extremely dur- durable. And my dad, like I said, um, he had he's been wearing Task for he actually has, he's had a Task shirt for eight years. Looks good as new. Really? So I could take so that yeah, shirt. Yeah, go wash e- it as many times as you want. And, and even though maybe I spilt some uh, whatever on it and it, it's got dirt and it's you just trashed, I could throw it in the washer right now and that thing would come out looking pretty good. Looking good as new. And then I'm not I didn't mention, but the oldest shirts have gra- really cool graphics on them. Yeah. With the SoFly up front. And yep, all that's going to be looked like it just like how it did when you bought it. There you go. I, okay. I shouldn't say bought it, but gave it to you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. No, yeah, definitely. I appreciate that. I will, uh, yeah, well, I'll test it here uh, this uh, this weekend and we'll, we'll see if uh, it's good, but I'm sure it will be because, uh, like I said, it's a, it's a good product. So, hey, uh, James, appreciate you spending the time today and uh, I'll uh, check back with you and we'll stay in touch as we uh, go into this sponsorship. Great talking to you, Dave. That was a lot of fun. All right. We'll talk to you Thank soon. Thank you. All right. See ya. Bye. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 156. Have you asked a question for any of our guests yet? You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash Facebook and join the group to connect with our crew and get your answered, uh, uh, get your question answered on our next episode. We have space for one more sponsor uh, this quarter uh, if you're interested. And we have um, next year some some room as well. If you want to head over um, uh, to wetflyswing.com slash podcast sponsor, if you have a company of your own, or if you know of a company you love, we'd love to hear hear from you. And we'd love to, we're always looking for getting great new companies and sponsors of the podcast. Um, and you can also send me a message directly to dave at wetflyswing.com. Wanted to thank you again for stopping by today to check out the show. Looking forward to catching up with you soon. Hope to maybe see you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.